Welcome to Cover Stories with Chess Life, the U.S. Chess Federation's podcast that goes behind the scenes and more in-depth about each month's issue of Chess Life magazine. Make sure to listen to our family of U.S. Chess podcasts, which include One Move at a Time on the second Tuesday of each month, in which I talk to people who are advancing our mission statement, Ladies' Night, which drops on the third Tuesday of each month and that is hosted by our Women's Program Director, Jennifer Shahadi, and on the fourth Tuesday of each month, Chess Underground, hosted by our Assistant Director of National Events, Pete Karianis, in which she examines the game's eccentricities, peculiarities, and theoretical novelties. All can be found at the podcast link on Chess Life Online at uschess.org, or subscribe via Google or Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Welcome to our February edition of Cover Stories with Chess Life. I'm pleased to introduce two guests to our show. Grandmaster Lev Albert is a three-time U.S. champion and one of the world's most sought-after chess teachers. He has authored or co-authored over 20 best-selling books, and his popular Chess Life column, Back to Basics, teaches essential chess knowledge to aspiring players. Lev was inducted into the U.S. Chess Hall of Fame in 2003. John Krumiller is a national master in both over-the-board and correspondence chess. He was featured on the cover of Chess Life in September 2013 with his world-class collection of antique chess sets, which was on view at the time in the exhibition prized and played at the World Chess Hall of Fame in St. Louis. John collaborated with Lev on the award-winning book Carlson vs. Karyakin, World Chess Championship New York 2016, which was actually the spark for this article. The article is, Is It Time to Bring Back Adjournments? Welcome to the show, Grandmaster Lev Albert and John Krumiller. Thank, Thank you. So let's cut right to the chase. How in the world can adjournments possibly work in this computer era? In the article, we explored the different uh, facets of adjournments and uh, why the popular opinion is that they should stay re- retired and stay as a vestige of the past. And we, we found that those... those um, arguments against adjournment really didn't hold water. Uh, they, they are, one of the main ones being the, the computer engine uh, um, argument against. And the, 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 the thing about chess is it's, an, it's a very deep and complex game, as we all know. And uh, when, when an adjour- if an adjournment takes place and uh, the, the two opponents analyze the position, use computers, it really doesn't matter because they're not going to be able to use computer assistance at any future point in the game, unless, of course, it's adjourned again. And chess is so deep and complex that after several moves, uh, as as a tournament director recently said, who who directed um, tournaments with adjournments, uh, the players will once again be swimming in the deep waters of chess. So the whole computer uh, aspect of it, we found didn't actually hold water uh, when when uh, when subject to to us analysis. Lev, do you want to pick up? No, I, I, I fully agree. And adjourned have been abolished. If you look at the history, which we did in our in, in our article, adjourned was abolished like under wrong flag. It was under wrong reasons. It only uh, the abandonment of adjourned coincided with rise of computer, but not exactly. And the reason, the main reason, as we explained in our, in, in our article, was it's simply easier for chess players, and also to some extent for organizers, not to have adjourns. And because 
there was a split in the chess world, and there were fewer money for chess. So both uh, Kasparov's organization and FIDE, they both decided to go for faster time controls, uh, with smaller prices, smaller time, con- uh, shorter time controls. And, and again, and, and then it remains, and uh, of course at the, at the expense of the quality. And in chess, as we both believe, John and I, um, to have high-quality chess is really one of the most attractive uh, sides of chess. All kinds of chess are beautiful, bleeds, even bullet, but the real foundation is the real chess, which was tried for an entire century with great success. Right, if I can say one other thing, too. The, of course, the last two World Championship matches were uh, were settled in tie breaks, and of course, then that's rapid, that could, could lead to blitz, that could lead to an Armageddon game, heaven forbid. Uh, an Arm- that an Armageddon game would um, would decide the classical world championship. In fact, as we mentioned, uh, back in the day, Blitz was considered to be uh, just the kind of the antithesis of classical chess, and even a roulette wheel was considered to be a, a better um, way of differentiating. I'm not sure that that's the case, but that actually happened in the Smyslov-Hubner um, candidates, candidates match. So I, I wonder if the World Chess Championship would, would kind of be the the leading entity for adjournments to catch on again. Uh, do you think so? And do you, I, I know you guys think, based on what you wrote, that uh, this solves the, the main problem about a classical world championship being solved um, by playing classical chess. But the other issue is, for organizers, is... Uh, the time commitment, knowing when a match is definitely going to finish so that they can rent or book a hall or a location. Does this solve or add to problems for organizers? It certainly adds to problems to, to organizers, but those things, problems are reasonable. I mean, I mean those problems are not unsurmountable. Uh, organizers handle those problems quite well for the entire century. As a way to handle it, it's simply to add a couple of adjourned days, special days for adjourned, and the problem, and the problem is, is, and the problem is handled. Would it start or start with world championship? I doubt it, and probably it's maybe not the best idea, because the world championship people should play something relatively new, and for most players today, playing with adjourned would be something new. Therefore, um, I think that the best thing to do would be for some uh, for some sponsor for some sponsor maybe some American sponsor maybe the American sponsor Rex at St. Louis to try some tournament where people would play with uh, with adjourns it may be even kind of mixed tournament some great players who used to play with adjourns like uh, Anand for instance or even Chuk or even Kramnik are relatively young, youngest of all three of them, plus some really young players who don't play with the Jordans, like Carlson, uh, Carvana, uh, and, uh, and so on, and see how it would work. I'm sure it would work very well. It wouldn't be something very uh, unusual. We shouldn't expect some, you know, some great result just because there are Jordans there. We also shouldn't expect anything bad happening because there are Jordans there. I think on balance, the quality will go up. There would be some interesting adjournment, would be something 
some interesting positions which entire world would be analyzing. And um, so again, I hope that some sponsor, hopefully Rex, if not maybe some sponsor in Europe, in London, where both John and I, I from all time, John from recent time, we know many prominent sponsors, maybe in Russia, maybe in some other country, would sponsor such a tournament. There were already such tournaments organized by uh, professional chess organizations by Emil Sotovsky and Yuri Garret. They organized two such tournaments and they were quite successful. Hopefully, maybe inspired by our article and we consulted both Sotovsky and Garret and this consulted participants of those tournaments. Maybe they would uh, restart doing it. Let's hope so. So, I'm, I suspect that a lot of our listeners have no experience even just as, as knowing that there's such a thing as adjournments were in the past. So, John, why don't you lay out the mechanics of how an adjournment works, and then maybe afterwards, Lev, talk about how adjournments affected you as a developing chess player. Sure. And uh, much of the article, really the first half of it, uh, addresses those questions because we understand that uh, especially younger players, but quite a few players, have never had any exposure to adjournments whatsoever and might not, you know, might, might not know the, the basic mechanics or the history of it. So we try to address the, the, um, the very lengthy history uh, of it, which is, of course is, is most of uh, modern chess. And by modern chess, I mean since the mid-19th century. Um, uh, and then the mechanics themselves. Now, in terms of mechanics... In the article, we do have a series of diagrams that shows it, but in general, uh, and, and I'm going to skip a few details, of, uh, which uh, Lev might want to fill in, but typically, you hit the time control, you've reached the time control, and there are considerations about the move, the move count and also the time on the clock. But let me address the move count. So it's you hit the time control, and somebody is going to seal a move, and that means they are going to secretly um, write down their move, put put it in an envelope uh, along with the score sheets, and then the players uh, leave and take off, and they they go and analyze the position uh, if they choose to, and they almost certainly do choose to, um, until the time of resumption when the game will resume again. Oftentimes the next day, um, uh, sometimes later the same day, uh, and w- upon resumption, the the envelope is uh, torn open by an official. The official makes the secret move, the previously secret move on the board, and the game the clock is started, and the game resumes from that point. So it really it's the, a continuum of the game, except for the the um, the secret move being sealed in the envelope and then the envelope being uh, being opened. That's the, that's the basics of the, uh, the, the process. Lev, do you want to, um, uh, are there any other specifics from your experience that would be worth, worth going over? No, I think that John explained quite, quite well. And I would add only one thing, that if some organizer, big or small, decides to, uh, to do such a tournament, again, big or small, a super grandmaster or master or even club tournament with a journey. A, he would be able to look in the old books, uh, old codexes by FIDE, or old book by FIDE, or old books by UCF, which would explain those things in detail. 
Of course, the article can be also serving as a good guide. And also, I would really happily volunteer my advice and my experience to anybody who would like to organize such a tournament. They are welcome to email me or to call me, and I would be glad to share my experience. Again, it's very easy to do. It's not a problem. And again, it was done by thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of chess clubs uh, in, the, in the period of uh, over 100 years. So it's quite easy and natural thing to do. So Lev, how do you feel that uh, growing up in the era of adjournments affected you on your way to becoming a grandmaster? And how might that be different now for today's crops of grandmasters who played without adjournments? Well, I think that it certainly helped me as help other players of my generation. Therefore, I didn't feel any benefit for me because we were all in the same situation. It certainly helped me to become a better player, better analyst, uh, and especially better end-game player because most of the Germans, of course, are in the happens already in the end game or, 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 or close to the end game. In fact, I think it was like I can even say mea culpa, I didn't put in an article, but I was probably one of those who helped to um, who helped to abolish insurance. I remember it was US Championship, I think it was 1988 Championship and uh, probably in Colorado and uh, before this tournament started, we had big discussion um, I guess L. Lawrence, I think, was a representative of UCF and he talked with our players about the regiment and we had really like two choices we were offered. One choice was normal choice um, we play 40 moves in two and a half hours, then the game would be adjourned, and then uh, we have several adjourns, but if there are becoming too many adjourns, like I adjourn in first round, then second, and then fourth, and adjourn days, say, after fourth round, the tournament director can become nervous, too many adjourns, and he may ask me and my opponent, of course, to play, uh, to continue next uh, 16 moves in one hour and to do it before the next round. So say round started three and we, we would be asked to play for one hour, for two hours, say from 10 to 12 before the game, which was certainly not pleasant. And certainly would be handicapped compared to those players with whom we are playing the regular game. And based on our experience from previous years, usually we had like 14 players playing it would be like three adjourned game per round, and two of them quite complicated. So, uh, so what we decided, what the some players offered, is to uh, play not five-hour session, but seven-hour session. In other words, we play first five hours, uh, two and a half hours, forty moves, and then we continue for another hour, hour each, another sixty moves from practice, and uh, we knew. And from theoretical, we use it in such case, there would be hardly one adjourn per round. And even this adjourn probably would be already in position, which wouldn't require extra morning sessions and so on. We have big debate. We have big debate. And I was debating, mea culpa, I was debating on the side, uh, which uh, was for playing all in two sessions, seven round session. And basically, I felt I was already one of the oldest players in the tournament. I guess 
I was probably 43, Ginger was oldest, I guess 44. Um, personally, I wouldn't get much from extra experience in a journal game. And they probably needed more full night's sleep, because when you have a journal game, which is complex, you hardly would sleep much during this first night, or even second night, if a journal position is quite complex. So there was a big debate. There was a big debate, and my side barely prevailed, and I felt a little bit uneasy, being kind of advocate of the wrong side. Uh, of course, I didn't expect such big effect happened. I didn't, it was, after all, US championship. It was a certain concrete event with certain concrete, relatively tense time schedules. There were not few, not too many adjourn days and so on. But again, I'm not saying that it was I who did all the harm. It probably was done more, as I said, after FIDE and Kasparov split and they have two organizations and they were looking for ways to cut a number of days played and, uh, and also players were taking events in their own hands and they were saying, look, why should you play those adjourns, why we have those, uh, you know, to stay to save all night uh, analyzing positions, uh, make it first they make like we did shorter time controls or if not shorter, we played all, say, not five-hour session, but seven-hour session, which is some compromise. The quality of this on the seventh round or sixth round, six hours, six, seventh hour, will go down. It was some compromise. And then if they continue to compromise further and further, uh, you know, up to time control became even shorter and shorter, and world championship matches became shorter and shorter. Now... There is some movement to reconsider, at least to reconsider the length of the matches itself. Even players like uh, like Carson himself, at some moment, were saying, look, it would be nice if this match, meaning his matches Corona, would last not 12 games, but say 14 or even 16 games. And my comment would be, okay, if 16, why not classical 24? Um, because again, I think that those gentlemen really found the best or almost best possible formula in uh, in the middle of the 20th century, both with length of the game and with time controls, with number of uh, with number of uh, games in world championships and so on and so forth. So again, it's not it's nothing wrong, at least to learn something from the past, not to not, not to copy the past, but to learn something from the past. And this may indicate just my lack of understanding of how adjournments work, but it always seemed to me that the player who wrote down and sealed the move had a tremendous advantage just because he knows what the next move is, and it's easier for him to to figure out uh, the, the potential lines of play that will, will upon resumption, as opposed to the person who has to figure out what the potential sealed move was and has many, many more branches. Is, is this a correct understanding? You know, it, it varies because let's say that the adjourned move is a forced move. And I'm, I'm using on one extreme. Let's say it's a forced move. It's a recapture. Well, then actually, the, it's the other player who, uh, who is able to um, leverage that advantage. So, uh, it, and it segues into the topic of adjournment strategy. Um, because one does want to be able to adjourn uh, in that situation where one knows what the move is, but but um, 
chess is so deep and broad that you know knowing what the move is there's no question helps but then the opponent then it's the opponent's turn and the opponent oftentimes has many choices as well so uh so yes there is uh you know there is somewhat of an advantage but this is in the middle of a game it's it's a extremely complex you know oftentimes a complex position um or if it's in an end game you know a lot of times the moves are uh clear cut the candidate moves are finite and so all those things together and experience has shown that um it's not the case that the person who sealed the move you know has a has has a significantly higher winning percentage over uh over the other player uh, it's it's simply just a way to um, take a time out, uh, recharge batteries for both players, um, analyze the position in depth, and then continue on with the game. You know, basically, I would just wanted to add to it that you basically correct them that there are some positions where it's good to to be able to seal the move, <clears throat> but there could be positions which. John described where would be good not to seal the move, and there was a little, almost a science which was teaching players when to when at what situations to seal the moves. And there were many funny stories when, say, tournament director goes to the table with envelope and say, player X must seal the move, but there was not not yet a command for him seal the move. So he waits for the last seconds and then quickly make his move. And by doing so, make his opponent to seal the move, and so on and so forth. And our friend uh, Mark Varetsky, great chess coach and writer from from Russia, uh, he wrote several, well, he wrote many books. And in one of those books, he dedicated almost like hundred pages to the art of when to adjourn, how to adjourn, and then how to analyze adjourn, and how to play, how to re- how to continue. When you adjourn game with the resume. So I think this we've talked some history, and I'd like to t- interrupt here and go to our best question contest because the question I selected does have a historical component to it. And our best question contest is sponsored by U.S. Chess Federation Sales, the official chess shop of the U.S. Chess Federation. They have the largest chess retailer in the United States, from chess books, software to DVDs, from chess pieces to clocks to computers. U.S. Chess Sales is your complete one-stop chess shop. With over 5,000 items in stock, it offers same-day shipping and a low-price guarantee. Find it cheaper at any specialty chess retailer and we'll gladly match them. Shop today at www.uscfsales.com. And I'll also add that the book I mentioned... Uh, Carlson versus Karyakin, World Chess Championship, New York 2016, is available at uscfsales.com. So our question comes from John Brazel. Thank you very much for sending this in to us. He asks, I recall the late five-time U.S. champion Grandmaster Larry Evans wrote in one of his awesome Chess Life columns back in the day that top Soviet grandmasters often had a team of seconds who would analyze adjourned positions overnight while most U.S. players like Fischer or Ryshevsky had often go it alone. Wasn't this a huge advantage to the Russians? Uh, if, I can, if I can start. Okay, you go ahead. Oh, thanks. Okay. Well, let's take um, a classic example of a world championship match, Fischer-Spassky, where, yes, indeed, Spassky had uh, 
excellent team. Uh, Fisher uh, had, um, uh, a, you know, a few strong grandmasters who helped him, usually one at a time, and yet, yet Fisher was able to um, to overcome that. Uh, but the the act of adjournment, the analysis, adjournment analysis, is as much a part of the strength of a player as. Uh, mating with a bishop in a knight. It's just another aspect of a, a player's um, strength. Ironically, uh, the use of, com of computer engines would be a levelizing force because the top computer engines, except Alpha Zero, which isn't commercially available, um, are very, equi very equivalent, roughly equivalent, and in fact they're all way above uh, human, hu the, the human rate ratings so that would act as a as a levelizing force in um, if adjournment were were resurrected. Well, I, I fully agree. And uh, even in the past, it wasn't so dramatic because after all, those Russian players or Soviet players were not always necessary friends. They often were competitors, so they wouldn't help them each other always. They might do it in some big um, official events. Uh, team events such as Olympiad, and we, we wrote an article, the story about uh, Soviet team analyzing the Jordan game between Botvinnik and Fischer. Uh, but, um, but those things uh, even have been rare. Today it's even, even more different because today we don't have Soviet Union, we have just normal country, normal country Russia, and again some players like each other, some don't like each other, and uh, some Russian players would be helping uh, other grandmasters, like Russian young grandmaster Dubov has been working for a long time with Magnus Carlsen. And, um, and also, of course, John made a very good point that computer certainly is a living force. I still would like to have a grandmaster for which I play, whereas I would like to have both computer and the grandmaster. But if someone, for instance, playing in local tournament, uh, cannot afford the coach, say, cannot afford the local master uh, as a coach. He still can be quite well prepared for the game just by using Fritz or Komodo or whatever. So, John, you are a noted correspondence master. Um, I, I'm just wondering how much of that has informed your opinion of, of this topic for over-the-board play. Yes, um, I played quite a bit of correspondence uh, in the 80s and 90s, and then early 2000s, um, I, I uh, worked up to an invitation to the final round of the U.S. championship, but declined. And ironically, it was because uh, up until that time, computers were not uh, allowed in correspondence. Uh, and then as they were, it was an unfair advantage for, for players who would unscrupulously use computers and I was one who, of course, wouldn't use computers. It wasn't allowed in, in the U.S. competition. Um, correspondence chess, uh, almost by analogy, is where every move is practically the adjourned position. And correspondence chess is, you know, well-loved uh, in, in the correspondence world. Um, now, with computers, cor the top correspondence players play some of, you know, some of the most accurate games in the world. And yet those games are not dictated by computer play. They're, they're guided, certainly, by computer play. But the top players use computers as a tool to help them uh, really outsmart and outthink their 
opponents who are also using those same top computers. So the, the correspondence experience helped in my understanding of how adjournments could could work again. Um, and I, of course, I had adjournments as a teenager, but not on the, not on the levels, uh, level of you know grandmaster play, just on the club tournament level. Um, and uh, adjournments are stressful for the player. So you know, quite a few people we've talked to, their first, their knee-jerk reaction is, hmm, I remember it as being kind of stressful, tough, you know, losing sleep, etc. But what hasn't been called out are the many benefits of adjournments for the game itself, for the players also. Uh, so that's why we, we brought, the, brought the article forward. I, I wondered if... Um Many people that you bring this up to, their initial reaction goes back to my very first question, how can this possibly work in the age of computers? But it sounds like as you lay out the case, people slowly start to come around to, to this idea as potentially workable. Is, has that been the, the feeling of both of you? Oh, yes. It's, 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 it's certainly workable. But I also would like for a moment to return to your previous question, uh, something which we discussed with John about correspondence chess. And this is a related question. Um, if one of our goals is to uh, in, improve the level, increase the level of high, the, the level of chess, to play chess on the highest possible level, why not to play, let's say, um, to not 40 moves in two hours, but say 20 moves in two hours, or even 20 moves in three hours, as used to be played in, say, in Germany, in twenties of of the last of the last century, hundred years ago, and the reason it is was not it didn't become the norm, I think first of all because of a diminishing returns, and b of course in this case there would be too few tournaments, too few games played. The same applied to adjournments, and I used to know some great. Uh, it also applied to correspondence chess, and they used to know some world champions and correspondents, including Hans Berliner, with whom I discussed those matters. I also knew Paul Keres, who was one of very few great, uh, great, great grandmasters who also were very good in correspondence chess and who, who played quite often correspondence chess. And one could expect uh, even higher quality in correspondence chess because. You have all time you need, you have books, you can analyze over the board, even without any kind of cheating, but you can move pieces and so on. And um, again, I ask Keris why the quality of his games and correspondence are really not, they're not low, but not higher than quality of his uh, games in real chess. And he, he answered quite, quite jokingly that, well, there was high prizes in correspondence chess, the quality of our game would go up. And he was right, because uh, correspondent chess was usually not as well rewarded as over-the-board chess. But there was also another reason, which I heard from Botvinnik, who told me that, and I think he was right, uh, as he usually was, he told me that um, with, uh, if you give too much time, be it correspondence chess, or let's say 20 moves in three or four hours chess, it may have some even negative effect at some moment, uh, because uh, he said that in chess, we need adrenaline, we need a pressure, that we may perform better when we pressure. So it's important to find the golden middle. 
It's not five hours per game, but probably not uh, five hours or five moves. So it's, and this golden middle was reached in 20th century. And again, what we are calling for is simply to give it several tries to try it, yeah. among other Diamond controls. So I, I forgot to thank Mr. Brazel for his, his question that generated a lot of good discussion. So thank you very much, John Brazel. And your $50 gift certificate to USCF sales is waiting for you in your email inbox. If you want to participate in our best question contest for a chance to win a $50 gift certificate yourself, please write your question or send your question to podcast at uschess.org. And next month's topic will be access-enabled chess. Uh, we talk about blind chess. We we talk about chess for people with, with disabilities and, and other issues. So if you have any questions on that topic, please send them in. Um, Lev, this would never work. Adjournments would never work in an American-style Swiss event, would it? Basically, true. Not, not fully true. Uh, it certainly may work with one-hour game tournament, like, for instance, US, US Open. We have round, as I remember, usual round started at, say, 5 o'clock. It goes till 10 o'clock. And then, uh, and, uh, in old days, when I played it, most of my U.S. Open, the game were adjourned. The game were adjourned. And you play them next morning, let's say around um, 10 o'clock, from 10, 10 on. So it, it, is, it is possible. What was really very difficult, really counterproductive, and very difficult for both players and organizers, to have a German game in two rounds of gay tournaments, like Bill Goldberg World Opens, like Hasekush New York Opens, then it was really very, very difficult. It was also involved adjudication of games for the purpose of pairings. Uh, it's extra burden on organizers and on players um, and on tournament directors. Um, but still, um, but even in ideal circumstances, like one, one round a day as US Open, um, no, I don't think it's, it's, it would be the best. It's possible, but today, and in old days, it would be a norm. In old days, all tournaments would have such uh, adjourns, even, even two rounds a day tournaments. But uh, today, I don't think it's the best way to start. Um, I think the best way would be some tournament, uh, some, uh, would be some round-robin some round tournament. It simply would take, let's say, if organizers have let's say, two weeks to conduct a tournament, and today they can, can do it with 12 players, fine, they will do it with 10 players and with a journey. So it's really not... Alternatively, they want to have 12 players, they will do it not in 14 days, but in 16 days. So it's, it's really a matter of a couple of days, uh, extra days added. So another thing that occurred to me as I was reading this article on, on adjournment was... Another thing that has kind of gone the way of the dodo bird, which is adjudication. That's probably another word that um, many of our younger listeners have never heard of. John, John, could you talk a little bit about what adjudication was and how it was manifested itself in tournaments? Sure, and um, and we're I'm, we're certainly not uh, advocating for adjudication. Uh, adjudication was done. Um, uh, it's basically looking at a position. And uh, and a qualified person rendering a verdict on that position, and that was uh, it's okay. Sometimes it was done for pairing purposes for the next round. Sometimes it was even done with with a, that being the final verdict of the game. Uh, 
so we're not calling for we're, we're not calling for adjudications to come back in in any way shape or form uh you know as, as part of the adjournment as part of as part of the adjournment um uh alternative oh and i didn't mean to suggest that that you were i was just uh because they, they sounded there's similar sounding words and they they both went away about the same time it 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 just raised the question for me and I thought it would be an interesting little historical tidbit for mm -hmm. some of our listeners. Mm -hmm. um, another thing I'm interested in is what are your some of your favorite adjournment stories, either personal or or from uh, chess history? And I, I put this to both of you and Lev, why don't you start? Okay, so many adjournment stories, some pleasant some dubious um kind of one very instructive story was um which i described to john i don't think it make way in, in the article uh, because i told you could put everything in the article it will become in this case a full issue it become a book but um, i remember playing in a tournament in a team tournament uh, annual team tournament competition between teams of sports societies and for my sports society we had players like Smyslov, Taimanov uh, of all the generation of younger generation Dvoretsky, Zuvayev, myself uh, Gulko, Palatnik we also had on the team a board of for junior for two women one young young girl and so on so they were adjourned and of course, we analyze adjourned with entire team. Entire team analyze adjourned. And I remember one of such adjourned. Don't remember even to whom it belongs. It was some uh, some rookie game where our side was better, but we couldn't find the win. And we were sitting at the board like four or five of us, and it was quite sharp in games. Sharp, so we were moving pieces frantically, uh, trying to clean our pawn or grab opponent's pawn. And Smyslov was um, looking at us from a little bit from the side. And when we were stopped, we were stopped talking for a moment and moving, he would say something like, oh, wouldn't it be nice to have a rook on fifth rank? We look at him respectfully, then look at the board, and it sounds too general to us, because, again, position was very concrete. Pawns hanging, chance to queen the pawn, uh, too general. Probably after an hour of analysis, so maybe 40 minutes, you felt a little bit exhausted. And it's this moment, after listening twice or thrice to Smyslov saying Rook on the fifth, okay, let's see how it may work. And we found a way how to put Rook on the fifth, our Rook. And somehow from this moment on, everything fell in our, in our basket, so to speak. Everything went out very well. So we really were able to prove position is uh, practically winning so we, it was it was it was certainly very very impressive we're giving similar story now uh, in our article about Capablanca who it wasn't wasn't the Jordan game it was simply a position so he came to position and he put pieces where they belong in order to achieve a win for one side but in this case uh, it was real Jordan and it in 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 it, 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 it really works this way and it was again. It was, it was very, very, very impressive. And it was certainly very. It was. It was certainly very instructive. I also remember one personal story. I was playing uh, in 
Soviet semi-final in Odessa. It was year 1972. I just began to not work with Botvinnik, but I met Botvinnik, got some advice from him. I was very inspired. I played extremely well. And it's a very strong tournament with many strong players, some of them grandmasters, some would be grandmasters. I was winning a tournament, I eventually won it, ahead of some top grandmasters, including my good friend Leonid Stein, one of the best players in the world, who played, like we say, was out of competition because he already played, was scheduled to play in World Championship cycle. So he plays there just for, for training. And Stein and I were friends, and they helped each other. So once I came to, uh, to Stein's room, but I really shared big apartments together during the tournament in the hotel, and we began to analyze his position, and I brought the joint position, and I brought with me my young friend, uh, Sam Palatnik. I was at the time like 26, Palatnik was 21, and uh, young master. So Stein accepted he was my friend, but really didn't um, put too much attention to him. And Palatnik was kind of very shy even to speak about Chesenstein's presence. So when Stein advised, so we realized his position, and you couldn't find, you couldn't find a win. It was better, but you couldn't find a win. At some moment, Stein went into another room just maybe to get some refreshments, and Palatnik told me, Lev, why, would, why wouldn't you try this, this, and this? Stein came back, I showed him Palatnik's idea. It happened to be very good. I recognize that Palatnik was the author, we get the lies now all together. Stein plays the game and he won. Then it came to the next round, and, and again we were competitors, but he really was trying even to help me uh, to be first, it was more important for me. Uh, and uh, so I asked him if he wants me to help him with uh, pre preparing for next round, because I knew his opponent, and... Um, and also Sam also knew him, because opponent was from Ukraine, from place we lived. And uh, Stein told me, Lev, you know, you have your own round, you should better take some rest, but ask Sam to come to me, it would be good enough. Because Sam was really great analyst, and as kind of analyst, he was certainly uh, greatly superior to me. So, uh, but it's uh, just telling the story because it also came started with analysis of a, of a Jordan game. And speaking about Sam, uh, once he found such a beautiful maneuver, also during this team tournament where this team uh, for which I played with Mislov and Taimanov and Bagirov and Razuvayev, we had also some Jordan, some maybe in Razuvayev's game, and Palatnik found very beautiful maneuver, which was dubbed by players Palatnik's lasso. You know, it's like Lassa, like you like the cowboy lassoing the cow. So Palatnik's Lassa. It looks really very beautiful maneuver. Well, John, the bar's been said hi. Can you top his story? <laughs> um, well, not within my own experience, but um, uh, when it comes to adjourned positions, especially on high levels, especially on the world championship level, the chess world stops everything else and the adjournment position becomes the the critical position around the world on, on thousands and thousands of chess tables uh, so so it the the excitement and heightened interest is huge and I'll give an example um, of if you remember the Kasparov versus the world game 
where really every move was close to an adjourned position and subject to very, very deep uh, analysis. Um, interestingly, it's not as if deep analysis in one position would affect, uh, would, would, would call the course of the game out and it, the game would be, you know, kind of would be set from that point on. Actually, almost every move, uh, deep analysis, a move uh, transpires, and then another in adjourned position. Every half move was adjourned. And that game had more attention. Uh, and if you look, look it up in, for instance, Wikipedia or in um, uh, Gary Kasparov's book, then virtually any other game in history uh, in terms of uh, attention, people following it, uh, people contributing to it. Uh, and so that's the almost obsessive excitement that, uh, that adjourned positions can, can bring back to the chess world. I absolutely agree. It's absolutely true. So, you know, gentlemen, this has been a fascinating uh, conversation. I, I, when you made this story pitch to Chess Life editor Melinda Matthews, and she shared it with me, I thought, oh, wow, this is this is great. It's probably the most surprising pitch I've ever seen because it it was in my head that adjournments are just an item of the past. So thank you for bringing this to Chess Life. And, and I'd like to ask both of you, are there any final thoughts you want to leave with our listeners? Well, I just okay. want to say that we're very happy that the story grew and grew with encouragement from Melinda, with encouragement from you. And also it was nice. I'm not really a great expert in po podcasts. I do it. First time in my, probably in my life, I never wear these headsets, but it was very pleasant experience. And in general, you know, then I like to, I like to work with you as my chess life editor, editing my columns. And I also like to work with you and John on our book, which, as you mentioned yourself, became the book of the year, the book on, 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 on much between Carson, uh, Carson and Karyakin. It's, we get some ideas for this article from that book and from our joint work so again uh, thank you for this and thank you for this podcast experience no you're welcome it was fun having you i, I didn't realize this was your first time so uh, yes. i I'm, yes. I'm glad to, to offer something new to somebody with such extensive right. chess history behind them john any final thoughts from you sure if i can chime in that um adjournments have played such an important role throughout uh, throughout the history of chess, uh, starting in the 1840s, 1843, uh, with the Staunton St. Amant match and moving onward uh, to virtually all high level international tournaments, um, all the way down to the club level, but definitely the world championship matches. In fact, uh, Lasker, Capablanca, Alekhine, Spassky, and Fisher all won their titles coming out of an adjournment in their final, the final game of the match. Um, and, of course, many games through, through those matches were adjourned. So it's been such an important part of history, and yet one, as, as you mentioned, that uh, is virtually unknown to, uh, to, to players today. So we're, we're very glad to be able to bring the historical aspect of adjournments back into view, and then also asking the question, why not? Um, why not experiment? Why not uh, give it another try? Sometimes... Legacy things can be can be brought anew, and they work great. So it, it we think it is very well worth a try.
And, and uh, as Lev said, thank you very much for, uh, for hosting uh, the podcast. It was very enjoyable. Oh, you're welcome. And again, uh, thank you for joining us, gentlemen. And, uh, you know, listeners, uh, you know, uh, let us let us know, write to letters at uschess.org if you want to potentially have a letter to the editor about adjournments or if you want to talk about it on a future podcast, write to podcasts at uschess.org. Grandmaster Lev Albert and National Master John Krumler, thank you for joining us on Cover Stories with Chess Life. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Cover Stories with Chess Life. Our podcast will return on the first Tuesday of next month when we will again be making a deeper dive into the pages of Chess Life. U.S. Chess is a 501c3 nonprofit organization whose educational mission is to empower people, enrich lives, and enhance communities through chess. To become a member, go to uschess.org and click on the Join button where you can find a membership option that is right for you. As a member, you enjoy rated play, print and digital copies of Chess Life or Chess Life Kids, and you help U.S. Chess grow the game. If you are already a member, consider clicking on the donate button at uschess.org. Thank you and good chess.